Good morning, my name is Kimberly and I'm one of the priests here at Church of the Cross. Um, it is a pleasure and a privilege to be able to share a word with you all today. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for who you are, for your son, for just reminders time and time again in little ways and in big ways of just how good you are, even in the midst of pain and suffering, Lord, you are present with us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. Well, I'm ready for the first slide. So this is Ruby. She was the best dog ever. I know we all think that our dog is like the best dog, and I think that before we got a dog, we kind of said, like, we're not going to be those people who are like, our dog is the best, and like, we're dog parents and all of that, but we totally became those people, at least I did, and I don't know where my husband is, but I think, like, more than I thought he would, he did too. Sadly, we unexpectedly had to say goodbye to Ruby last week. As we've been mourning her death, we've been spending time reminiscing about her and the things that we loved about her, the funny little things that she did. She'd sneak a lick in every time you walked by her. It was like her tongue could be extra long and like manage to like curve behind her. When you walked by her, she always wagged her big fluffy tail, it kind of popped up and curled. She rarely closed her eyes. We're pretty sure that she slept with them open. We would think that she was asleep and like her eyes were wide open, but she was as still as could be. It was so strange and like kind of creepy. Um, she always liked her head underneath things. So like under a couch, a chair, somebody's feet. It was so weird. I have like probably 20 pictures of Ruby's head underneath things. She was quirky. And I, I love quirky people and animals. When I got home from running errands or a day's work, I was always greeted by her sweet face. She didn't care how I looked, how tired I was, if I was in kind of a, a bad mood. She was always there at the door, ready to say hello, wagging her tail. One of my last memories of her acting like herself was a week and a half ago Thursday as she went galloping toward our daughter, Keenan, to greet her as she got off of the bus, always ready to welcome people. She was, to me, the epitome of hospitable. The word stranger had no meaning to Ruby. She welcomed anyone and everybody to our house. Some of you have experienced that. She was certain that whether you knew it or not, or wanted it or not, she was going to be your best friend. I wonder for each of you if there's a person or an animal or an experience that is the definition of hospitable. I invite you to pause and consider this. I found that as I was thinking about this question, Ruby obviously came to mind. But so did so many other people and animals and experiences. Things like a warm cup of tea shared with a dear friend, a comfortable bed with crisp sheets and a perfectly fluffed pillow after a long day, being welcomed into the home of undocumented immigrants in Phoenix, who through a program called Neighbor's Table would share their story with us and bless us with a homemade meal marking our doors with an epiphany blessing that serves as a reminder that we are to welcome all who visit our home. As we watched the movie Encanto yesterday for the third time, the image of Casita in the village blooming up out of nowhere, it seemed to point to hospitality too, a home and a safe place for a family whose previous home was no longer safe, and a home that was personified in a way, right? It took care of the family madrigal, their needs, it communicated with them, and it protected them. It offered them hospitality, 
as a good home should. All of these examples and more come to mind for me when I think of hospitality. And what I notice is that for myself, when I experience hospitality like this, I can't help but experience the love and kindness and presence of Jesus. Good hospitality feels especially significant right now when we're likely experiencing it less than normal or maybe in different ways than we once did. In today's gospel reading from John, the setting is a wedding. It's the wedding that's depicted here in this artwork by Jesus Mafa. Weddings are often where we experience good hospitality, right? It's at the forefront of the planning of the day. And in the reading from today, Jesus and his disciples were invited to attend this wedding. And Jesus' mother, Mary, was there as well. As we heard at the wedding, they ran out of wine. And I'm sure that for some of us, it's kind of like, what's the big deal? Like, run out of wine, whatever, move on. But for others, we're wondering, they had wine at their wedding? Alcohol and wedding? Like, I don't know about that, right? If you grew up Baptist, maybe. Like, alcohol, wedding? No. Um, but for some of us, we see, like, the problem there, right? Like, no wine at a wedding, you run out. And we see that, like, that indicates maybe not so good hospitality. But regardless of how we might contextualize it, in this context, weddings were a big deal. They were several-day celebrations, often lasting more than a week. And as this painting depicts, we see that they're celebrating. There's lots of people. They're having fun. There's tons of eating and drinking and partying. So running out of wine was actually pretty embarrassing. It's also important to know that traditionally, wedding guests would bring food and drink as gifts to offer to the couple and to the family. So this might also indicate that the bridegroom's family, who typically provided the wine, had a lack of resources or maybe even a lack of community support. And so we see in the Gospel reading from today that Mary took quick initiative to help solve the problem. She went to Jesus, telling him that they needed help, that there was no more wine. And Jesus replied, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. Some speculate that what Jesus meant by my hour is the event of his death, resurrection, and ascension to the Father. Certainly, Jesus has more important things to do than worry about a shortage of wine at a wedding. But Mary, as moms often do, seems to know better. Saying to the servants, do whatever he tells you. She seems to know that despite Jesus' seemingly dismissive response, he will do something to resolve the problem. For many of us, one of the main reasons that this passage might stick out is Jesus' dismissive response. It kind of feels like one of those how-dare-you-talk-to-your-mother moments, right? <laughs> like woman and just kind of, yeah, dismisses her. But it is important to know that in this context, Jesus is just beginning his public ministry. He's kind of first off on his own at the age of 30, and that he's making his way in the world. And he's not just your everyday, like, 30-year-old dude who's lived at home until he's 30, right? Um, but he is the Messiah. He's the king of the universe. My husband and I were talking to his mom last night, actually kind of joking about her, like, doing something embarrassing to him um, on social media. And I was kind of thinking about this, right? So, like, Mary running up to Jesus kind of felt kind of embarrassing, He's beginning his ministry on earth, and so when he addresses Mary, rather than calling her mom, 
He calls her woman or dear woman, which would be the equivalent today of like lady or madam, or for those of us in Texas, ma'am. Even in thinking about replacing woman with ma'am, it changes the tone a little bit, I think, and helps us to better understand what Jesus' intentions were behind the words that he chose to use. In his response, he is also indicating to the people there that in his timing, he will act. And when he judges it to be the right time, he will. And he does. He does act, right? We see that he has servants fill six large jugs of water, and then he turns those large jars of water into wine. And this is the first of seven signs or miracles that we see in John's Gospel. And it points us towards something more valuable than the wine itself. As fine as the wine might be, may be, Jesus' actions are evidence of the presence and working of God. The image of the wedding banquet is used frequently in scripture as a picture of the restoration of Israel, and wine is often used as a symbol of the joy and celebration associated with salvation. Jesus' actions here are that of a friend and a faithful community member. The provision of the wine is a sign of shared hospitality. Just like other guests would bring food and drink, so too did Jesus. But this wine is so much more. Rather than turning the, wa the water into two buckshuck from Trader Joe's, Jesus turns the water into a surprising abundance of fine wine. I'm not a big wine drinker, so I had to do a little bit of like unofficial um, research with friends who are more aficionados than I am. And so I asked them, like, what are some of the nicest wines that you can think of? And they suggested wines like Opus One Cabernet and Screaming Eagle. So some of you may know what that is. I had no idea, but I did a little more research. And those are wines that range in price from $300 a bottle to $7,000. So imagine that this is the type of wine that Jesus provides, and lots of it. Through this act, Jesus is marking the start of his ministry, and God's work in the world that has been long awaited is beginning here at this wedding. This should lead us to expect surprisingly good and abundant things to come from Jesus as he begins his ministry by starting with this provision of this good wine and so much of it. In doing this, he provides hospitality and a space of belonging outside of the existing honor and shame structure of the day. We should also note that by performing this miracle, it, the disciples believed in Jesus and continued to follow him after seeing him act. Throughout his ministry, hospitality is a reoccurring event. In many ways, it's at the center of the work that he is doing. Turning water into wine at the wedding at Cana is just the beginning, and as we've learned, this miracle is so much more than we first see or might imagine. In the gospel narratives, we get to we get an intimate perspective on the reality of the hospitality of Jesus and his ministry on earth. We see, too, that Jesus calls others to this higher standard of hospitality. He amplifies the principle and practice of hospitality. In Luke 14, he is having dinner at a Pharisee's house, a prominent one, and we see an example of this, where he urges those in attendance to practice hospitality with the least of these, not expecting anything in return. This was surely challenging for the people who were in attendance at the party. It was not how they normally would have thought about hospitality and who they should welcome into their homes. The New Testament, it reveals to us 
significant role that hospitality played also in shaping the ethical values of the early church. It was a virtue and a practice that was expected for the church and particularly for those in leadership. In Romans 12, 13, Paul uses hospitality as a defining mark of a Christian when he writes, share with the saints and their needs, pursue hospitality. About Romans 12, 13, John Stott once said, we are not just to receive the stranger when he comes to us, but actually to inquire after and look carefully for strangers to pursue them and search them out everywhere, lest perchance somewhere they may sit in the streets or lie without a roof over their heads. There is a connection between hospitality and the advance of the early church and the gospel as a whole. Professor and theologian Garwood Anderson writes that the practices of hospitality have both practical and symbolic functions. Pragmatically, hospitality enabled early Christians, like others in the ancient world, to travel when commercial options were limited and unsafe. For Christians, this was especially important for propagating the Christian message and weaving a network of relationships among local churches. Today, we may think of hospitality as having family and friends over for a meal, inviting neighbors in, hosting people for a night or two, or perhaps some of those ideas that might have come to you earlier. That may be how you think of and conceptualize how you experience hospitality. The ways that we conceptualize hospitality are not wrong, but the writers of the New Testament were working within a different definition of hospitality. For them, the ancient custom of hospitality revolved around the practice of welcoming strangers and travelers into their homes while promising to provide them with food and protection, a place to bathe and rest. In the first century, this type of hospitality, it could be a risky venture, just as taking strangers into one's home could be a risky experience still today. As I was thinking about this, I was reminded of a program that we participated in in Phoenix, where we would host families who were seeking asylum in our homes. Oftentimes, we would get last-minute calls late at night from ICE that they did not have enough space and detention that they needed people to host. And so we would contact churches and individuals and scramble to host families in our homes. Overall, there was very little risk involved in this for those of us who were hosting. But on one occasion, a family who hosted woke up the next morning to racial slurs spray-painted on their door. The family who hosted happened to be black, and the racial slurs were directed at them, but also at the individuals that they hosted. And so we see that certainly like, there is risk involved in this, this calling to be hospitable people and to welcome people in. The practice of hospitality in the church, it has direct implications for us here and now, today. And it also has more general implications as to how we can be a people who are hospitable. In response to what we see in John and the ongoing ministry of hospitality that Jesus practiced, we too get to embody this as his followers. We get to welcome strangers into our homes and our lives, and we are called to do this both for Christians and for non. We also get to more deeply consider what it means for us culturally when it comes to discussions related to immigration, refugees, foster care, people experiencing homelessness, our neighbors living next door to us that perhaps we've never met. Jesus continues to offer us his hospitality day in and day out. The work that he provides and practice of hospitality has not stopped. He offers up to us in the good news of the gospel. And so the question is, how do we extend the hospitality of Jesus 
as a part of our mission as God's people? How do we bring the love of Jesus to others through acts of hospitality, as friends and as faithful community members? We should also go ask, is our church not just a place where everybody can feel welcome to come into on a Sunday, but a place where they, we can all find a real sense of belonging? Is it a place where only a certain type of people can experience belonging and hospitality? One idea that I'd love to offer in terms of how we think about this concept of hospitality as Christians is the concept of beloved community. Many are somewhat familiar with it, like they probably know that Dr. King talked a little bit about beloved community. It was actually first um, coined by a philosopher named Josiah Royce, and then later popularized and really applied by Dr. King and others during the Civil Rights Movement. The King Center defines beloved community as a society of justice, peace, and harmony, which can be achieved through nonviolence. Beloved community has several traits, and there's 25 of them, so I will not read all of them to you, but I'd love to share a few, because I think they apply so well to this conversation around how are we a people of hospitality. Beloved community, it offers radical hospitality to everyone. It's an inclusive family rather than an exclusive club. It recognizes and honors the image of God in every single human being. It exhibits personal authenticity, true respect, and validation of others. Beloved community speaks truth in love, always considering ways to be compassionate with one another. And beloved community gathers together regularly for table fellowship and meets the needs of everyone in the community. That sure sounds like hospitality, doesn't it? And like the hospitality of Jesus. Jesus' extravagant miracle of turning water into wine at a wedding, it is a sign that in him, life and joy, salvation have arrived. It's an ordinary but extraordinary miracle and way of extending hospitality. And as we think about how we can act in this way, of course, we won't be performing miracles. But know that all acts of hospitality don't have to be extraordinary. I think sometimes we can become so paralyzed by thinking about what can we do, what's the biggest and the best thing that we can do as a people of God, and maybe to extend hospitality, that we end up not doing anything at all. So perhaps taking steps toward extending hospitality to a stranger begins with a small prayer as you interact with people throughout the day, just remembering that each person you interact with is created in the image of God. Or maybe it means giving financial support to a ministry, such as InterVarsity, who's here today to share a little bit with us, knowing that the money that you give, it will go towards supporting those who are engaging in this act of hospitality. At the beginning of John's Gospel, the narrator tells us that in him was life, and that life was the light of all people. And later in the Gospel, Jesus says, I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. Of course, abundant life does not mean a life of ease and comfort and luxury or absence of sorrow and suffering, but it does mean that in Jesus, we have abundant life. He is our extravagant source of grace that sustains us, grace that is more than sufficient to provide where we fail, and it gives us joy even amid sorrow and struggle. And it propels us and allows us that even in our deepest pain to be the hospitality of Jesus 
to others. In Christ, we are joined to the source of true life, life that is rich and full and eternal, life that neither sorrow nor suffering nor death itself can destroy. So let us move forward in confidence, allowing this reminder to shape us as a people of Jesus and a people of true hospitality. Amen.